Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the last lap podcast, the only Formula One podcast that actually gets things done. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, in the news this week, lots of things, but something that I think both Sean and I have been passionately uh, supporting and uh, hoping would happen has actually happened. Um, so we're very pleased with, I, I think, all the hard work that we put in uh, moaning about it on the podcast. It's clearly had yeah. an effect to the Formula One strategy group, I think. It's- it's been a tireless campaign. <laughs> we fought it well. Uh, I think so. Many, many were lost along the way, but it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so pleased. So, time, yeah. time to bust out the victory dance. It's, uh, <laughs> today's a good day. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And it's just as well, really, that we had such good news because, uh, well, we're going to start off the uh, episode as we usually do with a review of the last race which was the Spanish Grand Prix, uh, which was not exactly a classic, really, um, shall we no. say, if we're kind. I mean, let's be honest, uh, the circuit hasn't endeared itself to great races over the years. And, you know, given Formula One's current sort of state of things, it was kind of always on the cards that it was going to be a pretty a pretty average race, I think. I mean, if good circuits, good circuits at the moment tend to be producing average races, so when a pretty poor circuit <laughs> comes along like Catalonia, it doesn't really bode well. No. <clears throat> really, the only useful things about it is, A, it's a good test track because it uh, contains a little bit of everything. Great test track, but that's about it. Really. Yeah, and, and realistically, <laughs> it gives you... Um, a good insight into uh, how the teams have improved since the first test, um, which is quite useful in, in terms of it coming sort of slightly towards the middle, of, more middle of the season. Um, but that's that's really all you can say for it, as far as I'm concerned, as a, as a track. It, the closest thing that that race has ever spawned to a classic was the one that Pastor Maldonado won because it was so unexpected. But beyond that, I uh, yeah, I would struggle to. Um, to think of a of a race from there. It just favours whoever puts it on pole. I think there's a great stat of the amount of pole positions converted into into wins is something like the best out of any of mm. the, the tracks or something. So, and, and that highlighted by the fact that Schumacher won the race six times because he could generally have the fastest car in qualifying <laughs> and just 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 drive off at the front, and that tends to be what happened. And I guess it, well, it pretty much happened again this weekend, didn't it? Yes. <laughs> it's exactly, exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, I guess the the closest thing to an interesting stat you can say about it is it's now had nine different winners in the last nine races. Um, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Which, that's given it. that realistically, for the last five and a bit years, we've had two teams clearly at the, you know, at the front of it is quite quite impressive in a lot of ways. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, as Sean alluded to. Um, Nico Rosberg got pole and drove away to the finish with pretty much nothing to worry about. Um, aided by a, a poor start from from Lewis, realistically, but 
Um, you know, there was nothing to suggest realistically that there was going to be some, you know, if it, if Lewis was still second behind him, you know, with a, a normal start, he probably would have come second anyway. If he had taken him into the first corner, then he'd have probably won it. It's just one yeah, of those things. Yeah, whoever came into turn three in front probably would have won the race. It's all ifs and buts, but, you know, I wouldn't... I would be surprised to ever let the first turn three wouldn't have won the race. It's, uh, we would have seen the same as we've seen quite a lot and we've moaned about it. The two and a half second gap at the front and just 60 laps of management. Uh, yeah. The fact that Lewis dropped behind Vettel and then had the dodgy pit stop to, to boot meant that we didn't even get the two and a half second gap. <laughs> we got the, We got a 15 second gap. And it was just managed. So, yeah, I mean, like you say, whoever puts it on pole, generally going to win this race and, and proven. So I guess the only the, the good thing about that is at least, depending on your point of view, the good thing about that is at least it was Rosberg. So at least, you know, keeps the, the title and hunt a little bit closer and bunches them up a little bit and gives Nico a win, which should boost his confidence and hopefully... Going into the next few races, he can can take that and, and, and push on and, and at least get a fight of it. Because if Lewis wins, if Lewis had won it, Catalonia, you know, what that would be four out of the first five. Uh, what he'd be, um, no, all of them, isn't it? He'd have won oh, five of five. Of no, five. Vettel won. Oh, sorry, Vettel. Sorry, I completely <laughs> misheard you. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Um, so this is good, I think, for the title. You know, for the championship battle and. Just for Nico's sanity as well, I think um, probably good for his um, his 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 whole mindset. He can he can move on from this and push on. But other than taking that positive, certainly for me, I take I take that as a positive. If you're a Lewis Hamilton fan, you won't take that as a positive. If you're a Lewis fan, you'll want to see him win every race. But I take the result as a positive. But that's it. You know, everything else about the race was was pretty forgettable. It's funny that you mentioned the. Uh... Nico's mind state because he was asked about it before the start of the Grand Prix and he was very keen to say that uh, nothing's changed in his attitude he's not done anything different he's you know he's not focusing harder or doing anything different about it but uh, you know just the way he's driven in the last two races just does seem different than the ones previous to it and uh, I find it difficult to believe that something hasn't happened to him mentally to you know push him further because it seemed like in the first sort of um three races or so he just you know when he got into qualifying he 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 was almost sort of laissez-faire about it and um, you know i'm sure he was pushing and everything like that but he seemed to think that there was a strategy and that's all he had to do and then it would shake it shake itself out you know in, in q3 and um in the last two races he's he's pushed harder in q2 than he has been um saying uh, i think he mentioned that, that he was getting a better rhythm you know in the way that he was doing it before and trying to get through by doing the least amount in q2 so that his tires weren't used up was breaking his rhythm of trying to get fastest lap so when he went to q3 kind of had to relearn um mm-hmm. how to really push hard whereas lewis had clearly been pushing hard in q2 as well and so was lewis generally only has two functions stop <laughs> and go doesn't it he doesn't yeah. really have <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, it's I, just... I think you make a good point there about nico's and it was, i guess it was the proofs in the pudding he took pole position this weekend didn't he so 
And he looked he just seemed to be on it in all of the sessions. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It wasn't that, you know, he he was second throughout absolutely everything and then popped up a brilliant lap. He just seemed to be speedy this weekend. So, um, you know, all credit to the guy because I can't imagine the start to the season he's had um, can be easy for any sports person to take. You know, when you're, um, especially in a sport where it's not ne- necessarily quite so fixated on your personal performance uh, like a you know if you're a golfer and you have a bad round it's because you've played badly uh, you know the it's not the club really <laughs> you know there's there's only so much that, that the workman can blame his tools but in formula one really if you're battling your teammate and losing out you are in you have the same tools you're just losing out it's all down to the difference that you make to the machine so it must be so disheartening to feel that you're uh, well, maybe he doesn't feel it, but to certainly the results would say he was being blown away, um, mm-hmm. and whatever he seemed to do just wasn't good enough. So <clears throat> I think it's quite impressive for somebody to be able to just kind of g themselves up and and come back and and give a strong performance like that because it can't be easy at all. Definitely not, and it certainly pleased me. The interesting thing as well is he's a bit of a, a you know he's had great results at Monaco the last two or three years. So with Monaco coming up. You know, he'd be coming in off the back of a victory. He's got a great chance of going back-to-back victories, and then, then it's game on again. You have to say if he takes Monaco. So, good for the championship. Uh, disappointing uh, that Ferrari haven't been able to to give it a go. The Mercedes, like you say, Rosberg took pole, went away. Lewis was. Dropped behind Vettel at the start, but he never really looked like... He never looked like he was stuck behind him, really, did he? It seemed fairly inevitable that there would be um, a point where he would just be ahead of of Vettel on the track, whether it was in the pits or something, and you know, he'd be able to overtake him. Um, Yeah, the writing was on the wall from a pretty early... from maybe halfway through the race or something. As soon as Lewis changed the strategy to the three stop and Ferrari didn't I think they had to they had to just match them and try and keep the track position and then hope that Lewis couldn't get by on the faster car but if you if you'd gone on the alternative strategies and allowing Lewis to put pump in quick lap times and pass him via the strategy without having to literally overtake him on the track they were always going to get beat doing that so as good as Ferrari were in Malaysia with their strategy, they think they got it wrong there for me. Uh, yeah, and I think I think if if you're the chasing team, you, you've you know, you're the only person that can change your strategy to yeah um, get ahead. If the other people change their strategy, you've kind of just got to go with it and hope that you know your track position makes some amount of difference. Especially in Formula One in 2015 these days, you know, like you say, you got that two second gap, and it's quite easy to. To just just stay there, so I think Vettel had to, he had to just cover off Lewis. You're listening to the Last Lap Podcast, the home of F1 banter, with Andy and Sean at www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. I think something interesting that came up and. Um, you know, I, I criticise sections of the Formula One fans fairly often, um, as is my um, my right to. Um, you know, people have opinions and people can have opinion about people's opinions. Um, 
<laughs> and when Nico said and had complained that you know Lewis was going slow and he couldn't overtake him because of the wash off the back of the car and bits and pieces, a lot of people, and I, I think we can guess where most of those people sort of came from in terms of their allegiances and whatever, um, we're all out there with crybaby Nico, what a whino, just overtake him, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's all, you know, he's rubbish, uh, Lewis is so good and all these bits and pieces. That was two guys in exactly the same car. Now, Lewis is in a faster car than the, the Ferrari. We all know this. But he he's it's fine for him to say it's impossible to overtake Sebastian Vettel. Uh, yeah, there was at least ten, a good sort of two or three different radio messages over the period of about ten laps where the engineer was on the on the radio and he just said look i can't i can't do this you know we need to we need to pit we need to pit and then the engineer said oh a couple more laps of this couple more laps of this and then he moved straight back on the radio we need to pit we need to pit like so yeah you make a great point i hadn't even thought about the comparison of that to the to the previous race that's not something that had crossed my mind but yeah you don't seem to see the same people making making issue with Lewis saying that, shall we say. No. <clears throat> um, but they did make a big issue of um, the fact that uh, Mercedes told him uh, not to bother trying to chase down Nico Rosberg in the final laps, despite the fact that um, he'd have had to have lapsed nearly two seconds a lap quicker than Nico to have made it work. And it was quite clear that as soon as he was ahead of Vettel and that wasn't going to be a problem, there was no way he was going to go to... Uh, yeah, know, of be course. Be able to catch up to Nico, and that if, if if he'd even have tried to, you know, even if he'd start to get, you know, gotten a, a two second a lap, quicker lap in there, Nico was clearly in a position to to speed up and and maintain yeah. a gap uh, without damaging without damaging his car, whereas Lewis would have to be wringing the neck of his. So that's uh, the point I was going to make. Yeah, like he'd obviously turned some of his stuff down a little by that point as well, because he was twenty seconds in front. So he's going to have the the fuel saving and the uh, the engine down a little bit. So the second he gets wind of Lewis putting in big lap times, he'll just crank it up a little bit and, and respond. He was <laughs> Lewis can't win every race. Well, no, and <laughs> the bit that kind of annoyed Sometimes me was... Sometimes he loses, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the, the bit that kind of annoyed me was that he came out in the press and said, um, oh, Mercedes are never going to tell me to uh, slow down again or, or not, to, not to race again. And it's just like... Well, what a disingenuous thing to say. They were only telling you the bleeding of us, Lewis, that you couldn't do it. So why destroy your car in a completely fruitless, you know, or have the potential well. to do it? He said, yeah. is it impossible? And the engineer went, yes, it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. He said, um, yes, it's impossible because Nico will speed up, basically. The other car will just, uh, just match whatever we're doing. And there you go. So at the end of the day, if Lewis wants to act like... Um, somehow he's such a pure racer and Mercedes are never going to turn us I hope it happens again I hope the next time he does try and push it so hard that he p- pops a tyre or slip, slides off the road into the gravel and loses absolutely everything gets a DNF because I, I, I'm not um, I'm not a fan of a driver trying to make out that somehow you know oh well I'd have chased him down for the win if I'd been allowed to but the big nasty team told me that I couldn't do that it's like no you gimp the team know a hell of a lot more than you do. If they tell you it's, you know, it's impossible, then just believe them. Don't go, oh, well, is it really? Is it really? No, no, really? Is it really? Just like, you know, be, you know, be sensible about it. They're not going to tell you not to try and chase him down if there was a possibility of doing it. 
And if they did, you'd know about it after the race and then you wouldn't believe them. So they've got no reason to lie because it's it would be patently obvious if they said it's impossible, you know, with 10 laps to go and he was five seconds behind him. Well, yeah, you know, everybody's going to know that that's, that's possible. But, you know, when you're 10 laps behind, you know, 10 laps to go and you're 20 seconds behind, it's not going to happen. Just, you know, be a big boy now and <laughs> t- take your medicine and just accept that. You, know, you had a bad start. You never got it on pole. You haven't won that race. Yeah. You, you had a you had a bad weekend. It happens to lots of people. Do you know what I mean? You're not, uh, however much of a pure racer he may be, you can't kind of, he's not God. He's not a miracle. He can't magic time out of the air or extra laps for him. So just, you know, don't. It's, it just just feels arrogant to be, to believe that yep. oh yeah Mercedes won't tell me to slow down again. All right, good. Well, I hope it comes back to bite you in the ass because Mercedes were only telling you it because it was the sensible thing to do. Yeah, I hope I hope he pushes next time and fail, fails to catch because because it's impossible. And then the next race after that, his engine goes because he's ruined his engine from pushing in the last race. <laughs> Something like that. And I'd say that about any driver in who'd done who said that in that exact way. If it had been Vettel chasing down yeah. Hamilton at the end and they and we, and it, we hammered Vettel when he was winning when he was being a bit arrogant and stuff we hammered Vettel on this podcast and we're hammer, we'll hammer Lewis for it we're, we're just people we hammer the people that deserves to be hammered yeah I mean it, I, I was um, absolutely happy to see Lewis win the title last season whether I think in his public life he's a bit of a knob well then you know that's my opinion but i don't take that into my assessment of him as a racing driver but anything he does that's connected to the racing side of it i'll judge him on when whether that's on or off track mm-hmm. you know whether whether he looks you know goes to a fashion event dressed up like god knows what well that's fine do you know what i mean that's that's his prerogative and if i think he looks stupid then i think he looks stupid and if other people don't think he looks stupid that's fine. It's not a problem. <laughs> each each to their own. But you can judge somebody on their racing and how they port themselves around the racetrack. And that kind of thing just gets up my nose. Um, it it yeah. did when Alonso was like that. And Alonso had a streak of that um, where he would sort of question things and, and, and make it seem like um, he could do no wrong. And, and it's kind of... It, t- it took sort of five seasons of getting nothing at Ferrari to really, I think... Uh, sort of beat that out of him um and i think the fernando you see now is a very different person because he really had to go without the success and i think i don't know if that's really happened to lewis in a way that he really realizes you know he had bad seasons at mclaren but they were still in fighting around the points and you know still things were never uh, never impossible do you know what i mean i think pretty much every every season i don't know if lewis has ever gone a whole season without winning a race i doubt it I don't think he has. I think he's won at least one race every season. Did he win in his first season at Mercedes? Yes, I think so. I'm not 100% sure. We'll need to double-check that one, but I think so. Okay. Um, whereas, you know, Alonso's had... <laughs> he's had real barren spells. Really, really bad. He's, he's had... You know, if you think about it, he's probably had more barren spells than good spells, really. He had the two yeah. brilliant years at Renault. And a couple of decent-ish seasons in Ferrari mixed in with a couple of poor seasons at Ferrari, mm-hmm. and then, and then the McLaren, the one season of McLaren which was <laughs> yeah. fairly profitable on the track, but hell, hellish off it. And then, 
this season it's kind of the opposite that everything seems to be very positive off the track they're all having a they're all really working hard and we're all together but they can't buy a point off the track on no. the track so no, absolutely. You know, uh, i just think funny one i think if you compare all of those drivers those kind of drivers who have had the success and see how it you know how they deal with stuff when things aren't going their way or how renewed success changes them and it's just interesting to see and i um i think everybody who listens to the podcast knows that we're kind of um we like the smiley happy people on the grid we're like a rubens barrichello um i've been like that for every sport i've ever watched that's me that's my personality that's who i'm drawn to so um so interesting stat regarding Lewis. he's won a race in every single year he's been in formula one oh. uh he's won more than one every single season except for his first season at mercedes where he only won one so oh. that's it yeah so lewis has never had a a season he's never where he had hasn't a terrible won a race. season has he really, he's never he's never had a, he's never had a you know a 2015 mclaren or a you know a, a a Ferrari and it's real barren spell, yeah. or, or or a Williams for most of the last ten years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. you know he's never had, he's never turned up to a top team that have just got it wrong, that have got it completely and utterly wrong, uh, and yeah, maybe he needs that. <laughs> Take him down a peg or two. Uh, I think you know, yeah, uh, he always had a bit of an, uh, a cockiness and an arrogance about him. Um, like when he first came into the sport for a rookie, he was amazingly confident, mm-hmm. um, which I think put people a few people off. And I, I thought he'd seemed to have mellowed a little bit um, near the end of his McLaren career, and and even when he started with Mercedes, I thought, well, you know, maybe he's just he's gained new perspective. But see, but you know, having an amazing season, winning the championship, and being in such a fast car seems to have completely reverted him back to type, unfortunately. But. Uh, well, there you go. Let's let's not waste time talking about, you know, the things about Lewis that annoy us. Be fairly yeah, pleased that, that he's in Formula One. <laughs> yes, um, but be pleased in, in Formula One and that we've got good racers on the track. I guess is something to to still remain thankful for. Yep. Uh, so outside the two Mercedes, uh, Vettel third. A little bit disappointed that in the end he finished what twenty twenty seven la- uh, seconds. Behind a Mercedes? Uh, f- uh, he yeah. was 45 seconds behind Rosberg. Behind Rosberg in 20... Yeah, I mean, I'm at, behind Lewis, I mean, 27 behind... Oh, 20 20 sec- seven. Yeah, 20 seconds because, behind Lewis. Because he was battling Lewis, you know, for you know half the race. <laughs> and then, Maybe. In his own mind, possibly. And then <laughs> fucking that was the end result. So back to the drawing board a little bit for Ferrari. Well, uh, isn't the interesting thing that by the end of the Australian Grand Prix... The Mercedes had cleared the other cars by 30 seconds and everybody said this is terrible for Formula One that a team can so convincingly trounce their, you know, their rivals in a race. You know, and just because they had a couple of bad races in between, we're in the same thing and nobody seems to be reminded of that anymore. You know, that the Mercedes are now... We'll actually looking them. at it <laughs> yes well that's what i'm telling you now I, I i hope people listen to the podcast and then it, it it does you know make them debate some of these things and remind them of some of these other points that maybe get lost in the fervor of just what happens in a race but it's really depressing i would have thought that 
the Mercedes can have a terrible start, a terrible first pit stop, and still easily swap to a different strategy and end up twenty seconds ahead. You yeah, know, okay, not... they didn't. They Ferrari didn't change their strategy, so we don't know what how far he would have been ahead if they'd matched it, maybe. But at the end of the day, Sebastian had a twenty five second advantage at one point because he didn't pit. So <laughs> I think that kind of says it all, really. Yep. Bad. Uh, hopefully, I mean, we'll discuss it later. But hopefully, the the kind of things that they were talking about today will will change that because it's it's not good. New. Uh, fourth was Valtteri Bottas. Um, a bit of a quiet race, really. He didn't seem to. Be, I think he just wasn't wasn't up with the the front boys and um, was enough to keep ahead of everybody behind him. So. I had to fend off a Raikkonen assault towards the end. Uh, Raikkonen, I think he did. He did the two, or did he do the three? Can't quite remember. Uh, I can't remember either. But he, either way, he only finished a fraction. Finished a behind. second ahead of him, I think. But yeah, he um, was. I, I, the thing about that makes me think that probably they weren't on the same strategy then on that basis because Valtteri was quite a long way in front of Raikkonen because Raikkonen didn't have a great. Start either, did he? I don't think. Or did he? Or am I thinking of a different race? Can't remember now. Uh, um, um, um. Oh no, they did a different. Um, they did a different strategy, didn't they? Uh, Rosberg, uh, Raikkonen went um, medium hard, medium, and Bottas went medium medium hard. So by the end of it. Raikkonen had a the faster car tires, on the softer yeah. tires, and I think that's where he made it at the top. But that that meant he was coming back from being much farther away. So I yeah, think... and he was trying to get past them towards the end. But like the um, like we said about Lewis going behind the Ferrari, he couldn't get past even though he had a quicker car. I think it was the same for. Oh yes, for I remember. He kept on getting right up behind him, and then on the straights, Bottas would just disappear straight yeah, down there. Yeah, he The just DRS just him, didn't yeah. even make any difference. So whether he'd ruined his tyres or... Because he was slipping and sliding, it didn't look like he had great traction um, coming into that, that section of the uh, this, of the track because he was right up behind him after the first section and then he seemed to tail off for the rest of the lap. So, so Williams is always quick in a straight line, so you know coming up behind it... Yeah, you have like to if, have. Yeah, if, if you know a Mercedes comes up behind it, it'll probably pass it because of the superior performance but the ferrari advantage generally over the the williams is whilst they do have an advantage isn't that big an advantage and it's not in so that area really is yeah. it i think it's no they, so they, they really need to be they really need to be mighty off of the the last corner to get right close and and then they can use the drs and and reichen just couldn't couldn't get it done so but credit to bottas Good race from him. Like you say, quite understated, quiet. Went about his business and, and got, got a good result for the team. So six words, Felipe Massa. Um, did, I'm trying to remember. Now, did he qualify ahead of Bottas or not? I can't remember. Or did he have a bad qualifying? I think no, he, he was a... down, wasn't he? He wasn't, it wasn't like a one-two, was it? I don't think. Now, Massa had a bad qualifying. He yeah. qualified down and like, he qualified behind the the two Toro Rossos. Oh yes, had a very yeah. He was weekend. in eighth, wasn't he? Oh, and Kimi was ninth. That yeah. was it, I think. Or Kimi, the other way Kimi was Kimi was yeah. It was the other way about. Yeah. 
So because Kimmy cooked his tires in the blankets. So the two, yeah, both Kimmy and um, and Massa were behind the two Torosos <laughs> that obviously set the car up for qualifying, but then had absolutely no <laughs> pace in the race. Nothing in the race. <laughs> nothing at all. They were just the getting saddest bullied. sight, really, wasn't it? <laughs> to watch them down the straight, absolutely just being picked battered. off by everybody. So yeah, they got past pretty quickly, uh, and it was not almost ever resumed with the Mercedes, the Ferraris, and the Williamses making up the top six. But the destruction on the on the straights for the two poor Toro Rossos <laughs> was em- oh, it was embarrassing. They just got it so wrong. Eh? They must have had what all the downforce in the world on the yeah. car, so they had no straight line speed. But, but you just might, use... mighty in the corners. Eh? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it'd be interesting to see how they fare at Monaco on that basis, really, wouldn't it? If uh... If they can transfer that setup to there, they might actually be in a better position during the races. It's well, it'll uh, be interesting to see. Yeah, a lot less, a uh, lot less reliant on them uh, on the speed of the cars. It's a big straight at Catalonia as well. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good being mighty through the corners, but that's a long straight to be mm-hmm. to be a sit and duck on. It's not like it's a little short straight at some of the tracks you might see. Uh, so after um, Massa uh, came Daniel Ricciardo in the Red Bull. Uh, first of the lapped cars, and that's yeah. it's a sad state of affairs. When funny. he's going to something going to go right for that team this season? It just seems like going back to just briefly going back to Lewis when um, look I looked up the results uh, for the that 2013 his first season at, at um, Mercedes to find out that he only had one win. That was the year that Vettel won like ten in a row at the end of the season, and obviously he was getting proper booed. And it's just like the list of results for that year is it's, it's Red Bull, Renault, Red Bull, Renault, Red Bull, Renault, like in a big line. And it's like, oh, two years is a long time in Formula One, isn't it? Like, look at how the mighty have fallen. That partnership, once, you know, the golden partnership of Formula One has just... And it's it's scary to see evaporated. how quickly that relationship has deteriorated. It's unbelievable. <laughs> It's like the they're like the worst kind of unhappily married couple who, who <laughs> so you go funny. out for drinks with and all they do is snipe at one another but exactly. force you to be somehow involved in the conversation. So he's just like, have you noticed that Amanda's got really fat lately, hasn't she? She's just been yeah, she's definitely got really fat. Says, oh, oh, what's funny is the thing you haven't noticed about Steve can't keep his erection up. I don't know what the problem is. Send him to the door. And you're just like, oh my God, shut up, you two, please. Oh, this is terrible. The funniest uh, thing about it is that I've actually started quite liking Christian Horner. <laughs> That's the most remarkable thing I've ever... Like, I can, two years ago, I'd have shot myself if I'd said that. But no, it's it just... Because he's he knows, they're, he knows they're terrible. And he's just like, yeah, we're terrible. <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> Hands up. I think <laughs> the thing just... that's impressed me about Christian Horner is, unlike Marco and um, Mataschitz, because he is a racer. You know, he ran a team before he went to to Rebel. Yeah, he doesn't care. He's just managing the team and trying to do the best he can. And so that kind of shines through at the moment. And I think that's why you're probably shining to him a little bit. I think it's because he's yeah. giving good racing answers to the questions and he's not saying well if it keeps on like this we're going to kill the team because it's uh you know it's it's not a good marketing exercise he, he, he would run that team, team if it was a job so well i think he'd run that team even if it was dicing with the marushes it really wouldn't matter to him so long as he was running a formula one team and and you know that's what he was doing so i, I think that's you know, it's quite refreshing to see actually that the Christian Horner who gets it right is also the same Christian Horner who stands up and you know admits it when it goes wrong. So yeah, 
No, it's good. And, and it's like you say, if they take their ball and go home, Matisic and Red Bull, Christian Horner will still be in Formula One. He's, yeah, somebody he's will not, win him. He's a, he's a racing guy. He's not a Red Bull guy, you know? Like yeah. you say, he, came, he comes from a racing background. So, like, like and that, that, yeah, like you said, that's clearly... It's clearly kind of shining through at the moment a little bit. But yeah, it, it's endearing to me to him, which I never thought I'd say, but never mind. <laughs> Somebody else who seems a bit racy these days came in in eighth place, and that was our good friend, uh, Roman. I don't know why I called him my yeah. good friend. I feel, I feel like I almost feel like we are personally friends with Roman yes. Grosjean, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody feels like everybody is Roman Grosjean friends. How, how can anybody not like that guy? He, he permanently smiles, says nice things, and never says a bad word about anybody. Doing a good He's job a on nice the track guy. as well. Uh, and so, he was he was punchy uh, this race as well, which was nice to yeah. see. Um, um, you know, a little bit too punchy place. with his own teammate, but... Uh, Eighth place for for Grosjean, and I mean he could maybe challenge Ricardo, but he's never realistically going to get to the front six. So, of their own little mini battles in the midfield, he's he's come out more or less as good as he's going to get. So, well, I I think he's been doing that consistently as well, which is the good thing. It's not like he's um he's kind of actually in a way kind of the best of the rest mm-hmm. behind the Red Bulls. He's con- consistently putting the Lotus in in decent points paying positions and qualifying well and and doing all the right things so um i'm inordinately pleased for him because the last year's season with lotus it just did nothing for him yeah he Um, was he was you couldn't tell he's the most miserable man on the grid at times last season you you couldn't (laughs) tell that he was better than pastor maldonado at that point because the car was so rubbish and it's quite clear to see now i think the difference in you know the actual level of talent of both of the drivers yeah, I'm a big Grosjean fan. I've been for years, a couple of years now. You're listening to The Last Lap Podcast. F1, for fans, by fans. <laughs> Somebody whose days in Formula 1 <laughs> might already be numbered, bless. <laughs> uh, Danny Kvyat came in uh, ninth. He no, seems to be getting an awful lot of slack for... for uh, of a, Not slack, sorry. Um, a bit of a slating, really, for... His performances, but I don't think he's done anything that's too terrible. A lot of it hasn't necessarily been his fault um, either. Um, I don't think I really remember him making any terrible blunders as such, crashing into people or, or making stupid overtakes. It's just not been, you know, great. It's not been just that not great for the, Daniel Ricciardo either. He's not got the car. He's not, <laughs> like that's just where the Red Bull is right now. That's a, that's just where it is. And Ricardo's able to finish two or three places ahead of him and qualify a place or two ahead of him because Ricardo's very, very, very good. Uh, it's not a knock on Fiat to say that he's half a second a lap slower than Ricardo. In the same way that it wasn't really a knock on Kimi Raikkonen last year because he couldn't keep up with Alonso. No. That car's just not good and it's just <laughs> where it's supposed to be. What I will say is though, Kvyat came 10th. You've missed Carlos Sainz. He was uh, ninth. Really? to the list I've got. Ah, <laughs> oh. that's weird. Mine said, "Oh yes, because he because signs overtook him on the last lap, didn't he? Or near the last lap because they they tangled." Oh, why I've, I've got... got it down as Science ninth, Fiat tenth. Actually, yeah, that that probably should be that way around. I wonder so, yeah. if they. I wonder if the people who made this list it was before they had the result and they assumed that um, Signs was going to get penalised for um, bumping uglies with the. Uh, I can't see anything on here that suggests that. No, because there wasn't a penalty at the end of it. Hmm. 
because Sainz definitely ended up ahead of him, didn't he? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with your list because it makes more sense in my head than this one. So <laughs> yeah, sorry, uh, Carlos Sainz, yeah. who I thought did um, did a really good job and came ahead of Max Verstappen as well. Good job for a guy who spent his whole day getting passed on the streets. Well, yeah, so, pretty much. Yeah, I mean to br- still bring that home in the points. Toro Rosso would have accepted that, I think, at the start of the day, points probably, and they've they've got a couple. So yeah, good enough job. And like you say, when you're in a Toro Rosso, particularly that team, you just want to beat your teammate first and foremost. I think is the it's first priority. Much, it's pretty much all you can do. The, and, the, the car is so up and down. You never know whether you're going to be, you know, in that sixth, seventh spot. Maybe if it if it goes well, or you might be in that sort of fifteenth, sixteenth spot and just you know praying to be put out of your misery. Yeah, good, good weekend. Good qualifying with the with the, the interesting package that Toro Rosso chose to take, and and a, a, a and points finish. So, yep, well done, Saints. Um, then I'm, I'm going to take the next four all in one group, um, <laughs> because I kind of feel that that was pretty much how you should take them. And it's Felipe Nasser in a Sauber, Sergio Perez in the Force India, Marcus Ericsson in a Sauber, and Nico Hockenberg in the Force India. Yes. And if you want to have a brilliant description of why you have to invest in people who can improve your car through a season, that result tells you all you need to know. Because um, the Sauber's looked awesome in Australia and are now already back of the midfield. Yep. And the then Force India, the season before, you know, people were talking about them scoring more points than McLaren. And <laughs> they might do this season, but it's only because the McLaren started from the, you know, from a completely white blackboard. <laughs> Everybody else started in Albert Park and McLaren started in... Uh, well, here, where probably, it, really. Where is it they're born? Where is it, it begins with a W somewhere in England. Where is it? Woking, the fa- maybe. Woking, say. that's it. That's where their factory is, Woking, yeah. Yeah, well, everybody else is in Albert Park. They were still in Woking. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, and I think it just demonstrates that um, you can do something right through winter testing, um, but if you can't keep up with how the other cars are going to improve... You'll drop back. You you are standing still whilst everybody else is moving forward. And um, this race proved it. Um, Jensen Button ended up 16th and, and well down from them. But his car was broken. Um, Fernando Alonso was up as high as 7th and probably would have been on for somewhere around um, 9th or 10th, I would have thought, when it all worked itself out. I would have thought he would have probably come ahead of the Toro Rossos, I think, in the end of it. Um, so, you know, and, and his race was ruined because his blooming visor went into his brake duck and, and, uh, and bust it. And that just goes to show you, isn't it, that the worst car coming out of winter testing is now almost certainly ahead of the Force India and the Sabres. And only wasn't this race because of, um, mechanical issues, not outright speed. Yeah, no, I'm... I don't. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. I think it's interesting that the Saubers haven't developed, and they also have two rookies in the car. Uh, because can't help. You know, it, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It can't help. The lack of investment is obviously an issue, and it's and that's clearly the issue at Force India because they don't have two rookies in the car. They've got two 
certainly good above drivers. average of drivers. Good, uh, well, well, well respected, you know, good Formula One drivers. And they can't buy progress at all. Like, they can't get anywhere near but the points at the moment. They so. have publicly said that, you know, their upgrades aren't coming um, until uh, I think it was Canada, at least, I think. Maybe even Silverstone. Um, which of our around those two coming, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, they're, they're still running their B-spec car. That's terrible. That's that's awful. That they can't pull their improvements in inverted commas um, by the, the the fifth race of the season or or sixth uh, sixth race of the season. But we. <sighs> I can't remember now. The writing, the writing's kind of been on the wall for from Force India for like since last season, hasn't it? We shouldn't be surprised by this. It's interesting as well that they were they were failed to get out of Q one for the first time since two thousand and nine. Now two thousand and nine was when they had not long bought the team, and they bought the t- they bought a team that was proper, you know, Minardi esque back mm. marker that they bought, and they were managed to put a bit of money to it, and and they improved and and got themselves right up the grid and they're going very quickly backwards my my biggest concern is for the two guys that are driving the cars because I like both of them I like Hulkenberg and I like Perez but where do they go from Force India there's nowhere above them on the grid that they can go really well no um and you would assume that probably Force India are most likely to actually die at this point. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that Mauricio, if they've gotten this far, are probably running on that kind of, um, you know, hand-to-mouth existence that is actually, in a random way, kind of sustainable so long as they don't, you know, drop so far behind the pack that they can't make that, you know, 107% rule at least once during the weekend. Um, and, and ironically, it's, you know, it's Force India who should have been able to um, have counted on the success they had to invest back into the, the car, who uh, you know are probably struggling the most. Do you, who do you hear asking for cost caps all the time in the press? And it's Bob Fernley from Force India all the time. That's all he talks about these days. Is you know what a good they're him and Marisa uh, Manisha Cantervorn, but mostly Bob Fernley. And it's just like, well, <laughs> no, no poop, Sherlock. It's <laughs> You, you know, you you can barely afford to pay your suppliers. There's no way that you're developing that car to do anything other than um, drop further and further behind uh, everybody else. It's a shame, but that's modern Formula One, isn't it? With debated solutions, potential solutions, more than one occasion on this podcast. Well, and the the I think the funny thing is, is that they did the most no. Um, favors really by uh being so anti uh, marussia getting on the onto the grid i think if they'd been publicly more behind that uh rather than seeming to you know and i guess i can't really comment on their motivations but i'm pretty sure it's about taking prize money from you know somebody else because they needed it but um you know i don't think that's done them publicly any any favors so you know before they were probably everybody's, you know, uh, favourite underdog, you know, mixing it in with the big boys when they didn't need to, you know, when um, Fisichella was getting um, 
Poland Spa and all of those bits and pieces. And everyone's like, yeah, Force India, hopefully they can crack on from this and we'll have another team at the front. And I don't think people care anymore. Which can't <laughs> be good if you're trying to sponsor, get team sponsorship. And probably if people read online about what's everybody talking about Force India, talking about what a load of grasping bar stewards they are. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because they're actually quite a well-sponsored team. You know, if you compare the car to the McLaren, I don't know how much money they're bringing in for their sponsors, but their car has got quite a few different sponsors on it, whereas the McLaren's got nothing on it. Uh, obviously, McLaren has a, a whole other industry supporting it, which is fine. Of course, India aren't going to have that. But it's just interesting that they are having these troubles for India when they have been able to attract sponsors. They've been certainly able to attract more sponsors than Sauber. In the last few years, so and and so, where's the money going? Essentially, is what I'm saying. Because, well, why is it suddenly such a big issue for Force India? Is it VJ Malia? Is he not putting in the money anymore that he maybe once was? Has he gotten bored? I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs. But why is it suddenly so bad when it wasn't even two years ago? anywhere near this bad uh it seems really bizarre and i think it it feels like it's kind of um it feels like it's kind of like their team is being mismanaged um difficult to say why because you can't ever see those kind of bits and pieces but it, it feels like there must be someone how not have doing you, their job probably. yeah <laughs> do you know what i mean how have you taken it um uh a team that was you know probably a it'd be like taking the Southampton team now in the Premier League and then relegating them next season mm. and but not seeming to change anything on the pitch. It can only be about how everything is in the background. So you'd be just like, you know. Newcastle United is the example. Oh, yeah, actually. That's exactly <laughs> it. It is exactly <laughs> it. Because that's literally what's happening to Newcastle. The, the exact same on the pitch, but God knows what goes on behind the scenes there. So yeah, hopefully, uh, like you said, I, I didn't, I didn't fall out with them as much as maybe some people did regarding the Marussia thing, mainly because I'm, I'm not that bothered about Marussia. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, as in the way that some people love to love to cheer the the Marussia guys and that, and that's fine. You know, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. I don't really care either way. So in the same way that I don't really care either way if they're there, I didn't really care either way if. Force India voted to help them or not. So I was neither here nor there with that. So I'm quite happy to still hope Force India turn it around because mainly, like I say, for their drivers because I don't know where they go. Force India went bust tomorrow. Or where does Perez and Hulkenberg go? Mm. Out no. of the sport, probably. Yeah. And that's mm. not that's ter that would be a terrible thing. Yeah. So I don't want to see Hulkenberg and Perez and DTM or Formula E or something like that. I want to see them challenging no, well, for podium. Hulkenberg... Um, did Le Mans, didn't he? I think. Ah, right enough. Yeah, he, he's so he's, he's probably starting his... to. Yeah, he's starting to know that Formula One isn't the longest career in the world. You know, <laughs> for a guy like him. So yeah. Perez will probably end up going IndyCar or or something like that. And going I think Perez has got Formula Formula E written all over him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all that. Perez. Um, that said, the Formula E's um, 
turning out to be quite quite the good little series these days. I haven't it's, watched uh, any of it yet, and I'm, I'm, total, I'm just so busy with work that I can't seem to have seen any. I've got parts of races I haven't had time to be able to sit down and watch an entire well, race. I need, but... I need a box set at the end of the season. <laughs> yeah. I could just sit and watch the whole season in maybe, one day. Maybe we can do that as a, as a special out-of-season out thing. What we'll do is, because I think all the races are online anyway. There must, be, uh, there must be a way of sourcing the races, yeah. Well, what we'll do is we'll sit down and we'll do a... <laughs> we'll do a Formula E season season review race yes. by race, but out of season, so we can do it. You know, once every few days or something like that, maybe. That'd yeah, be quite fun. I think. In the hell not. <laughs> so behind the Cybers and the the Findias was Jensen and his perennial oh, dog of McLaren. Well, and it was such a shame because <laughs> he had the problem, which dropped him was like two seconds a lap slower than everybody else. They got him in, and it seemed to sort itself out, and he was just like, oh. It's all going all right again, and he started to catch up with Hulkenberg, and we were like, "Oh, actually, it could be a little bit of a uh, a race here with a with the back markers." And then the problem happened again, and he went back to being a couple of laps, like a couple of seconds slower. So it was uh, um, not a good day. But it's you know, again, it's engine gremlins, isn't it? It's it's a a software thing somewhere in the. We can, in we're the going to say the same thing about McLaren every week. It's not about this season, is it? It's about next season. No, so. it, it, it's about. <laughs> Really, the season is about how much they can get done in season. Yeah. Um, it's about so making that, that so, car reliable so that it can be fast next season. Yeah, well, really, it's so that when they get to winter testing, what they can do is improve upon what they've done in the in-season. What yeah. they don't want to be doing is getting to the last race of the season and still thinking, we've still got to find 1.5 seconds in this car. They need to have said, okay, we're now you know, the same level behind the, the cars as uh, at, at least the sort of Red Bulls. Do you know what I mean? And and hopefully the Williams really, it, that's that's got to be the aim, isn't it? Get there, and then we can pour everything into te- winter with winter testing to make the improvements. But uh, well, that's that's that. We we do say it every week, so I don't want to harp on. And I think you know, if you look at, like I say, if you look at how well Alonso was doing in a car that was trouble free, until something happened that was incredibly freakish. You're listening to the Last Lap Podcast. Monaco will be interesting because that's much less of an engine track, much more of a what bits have you got on your car mm. track. So that might be the real test of the bits that McLaren have brought the last the last couple of yeah. weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking so, forward to see what they what they bring. So it'll be interesting, yeah. Monaco should be interesting for a variety of reasons, not just because it's a, a great track, but you know, you've got lots of different interesting variables going into that. McLaren just being one of them, and then there was the Manners who both finished. So well done, I guess. You know, <laughs> when um, you're on such a budget that they are, getting two cars to the end of the line is that's fair play. I yeah, say. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about everybody's uh, favourite man. I cannot. I I've been waiting the entire show just to get to the DNFs. <laughs> this is my favourite thing that's happened this season by a mile so far. <laughs> Uh, Pastor Maldonado. <laughs> <laughs> he drove the whole race pretty much with half a rear wing. Yeah. I'm just at only Pastor Maldonado. Like this is lit- he is literally a sketch show now. He is every race is a different sketch <laughs> of Maldonado in a comic situation. And it's just phenomenal. <laughs> I, I've never seen anything like it where they just sent him back out and there was just this gaping and wound. kicked it off, didn't they? We're just like. All right. You can't fix it. Just kick it off. Just kick it off. <laughs> it's phenomenal, man. Off you go. 
and it just stayed on. So fair, I don't know how well done to whoever designed the rear wings. You don't you don't need end fences. Not well, absolutely. Whoever whoever designed the uh, the central pillar of that uh, oh. of that design needs a needs a little Brucey bonus for for making it, it strong enough to I do no- that. I noticed it about thirty seconds before the commentators noticed it when it was still when the broken bit was still attached. I think we. We were on board with someone following Maldonado or something. Just, just, just a minute or so before the, before the commentator said anything, I went, "Is that, is that my eyesight? Am I going mind? Is am I going mad or is Maldonado's rear wing bent in half?" Well, the weirdest. And about, thing. And I thought about, the half, about half a minute later, Brundle goes, "What's wrong with Maldonado's rear wing?" <laughs> <laughs> like, well, the funniest God. thing was as well is that they pointed out that they thought it was a collision between Grosjean and Maldonado, and then they didn't look at it again for ages. And then they did a replay, which clearly showed Grosjean. Um, Skewing all over the track, coming back on, and and then clunking into his into the back of his car, and they just sort of didn't mention it until the end. They were going, "Oh, I wonder how that happened." It was just like, "Well, did you not watch the same replay that the entire world just watched? His teammate <laughs> smacked into the back of his car." So, that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, the fact uh, usually when a rear wing goes, that's it, because it's about a minute to replace a year, a rear wing. Maybe oh yeah, it's not uh, so. Yeah, it's, not, it's not a front wing in and out. It's, 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 I thought, oh, that would be Maldonado retired then. So he comes into the pits, and I was giggling at myself, oh, another DNF for Maldonado. And then they sent him on the way with half the wing off. I was like, you can't. Just Lotus F1, never stop. No. <laughs> never stop. It's just, no, absolutely. It's like they've gone, you know what, we've got one good driver. We might as well just have him and then just have a sketch show on the side. <laughs> like, we'll just do a bit of comedy because, you know, why not? <laughs> Well, Roman Grosjean then tried to get in the act by uh, sending his front jackman <laughs> 500 yards down oh, yeah. the uh, the pit lane when he came <laughs> into his thing. That's true. Uh, it was the uh, shot of him back in the thing with the ice on his crotch. That's <laughs> <laughs> clearly where the, the handles of his jacket gone straight into his uh, his love spuds. He'd be a jackman, eh? Well... Fernando Alonso, the other DNF, nearly killed his Jackman as well, didn't he? Well, it, it just goes to show you that the, the at least the McLaren um, Jack guys were were kind of on the ball enough to go. He's not slowing down, is he? I'm going to get out of the way, actually. Yuck. That was the best bit of the race. The two sort of comical DNFs. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so well, that's really that's really Spain for you. It was. I wasn't expecting a classic, and I never got a classic. No, I, I left it being satisfied purely because I liked the result. I liked Rosberg getting a win, doing one on Lewis, and and making the championship a bit tighter. So I went away from the race feeling feeling happy. I went away from the race like I just watched my team win one nil, and it was a crap game, and we scored late on, but we won one nil, and we got the result, so it's fine. That's what this was. It wasn't great, but I'm happy. Yeah. Um... For what action there was, it was okay, but it just um, it, it it delivered exactly what the Spanish GP generally tends to deliver, which is not very much. So there you go. Um, well, that's good because we get it all over and done with, and there's plenty of things to talk about in the Formula One news. The final lap podcast. And, I said we'd get to it, the first thing that's happened uh, as of, in fact, today, uh, the Formula One strategy group has uh, come together 
and voted on uh, a lot of uh, different measures to try and improve the sport. Um, top of at least our list is the reintroduction of refueling uh, in 2017. Thank God. Well, it's... I almost want to... Until it's here, I don't, want, I don't want to tempt fate. I don't want to celebrate too much until it's actually here. Because in Formula One, I'm used to having things taken away and changed and everything. So I'm, I'm, I'm wary of getting too excited until I literally see the fuel pumps in the garages <laughs> in Albert Park 2017. But based on what they're saying today, hallelujah. Uh, I, I think we did a show some time ago where, where I earmarked that as the one, the one thing that, that, that F1 needs. Before anything else, the one thing I would do if I was Bernie Eccleston tomorrow... If it was John Todd, whoever in charge of these things, would be fueling. It has to be refueling for me because such a big part of the show that made me fall in love with Formula One was the way the strategy guys dealt with the fueling of the cars. Do we put more fuel in and go long? Do we skinny fuel them in qualifying to get track position on the grid and then try and scamper away at the start before we need to pit for fuel? That kind of thing. That was such a big. That's, that was what I fell in love with, and and they took that away and replaced it with, oh well, we've got hard tires and soft tires, so you have to pick one or the other, and that's just was just not a good enough replacement for strategy for me. And thank thank the Lord that again, hopefully, Touchwood, based on this thing today, we're getting it back. Twenty seventeen. Can we just skip twenty sixteen? Uh. Just go straight to twenty seventeen, please. McLaren could probably do with that as well. You know, straight to twenty seventeen. Only um, if they get a whole into another whole entire year to do development, <laughs> I think possibly. If, they uh, yeah, if we don't run at yeah. all in twenty sixteen, I mean, that'll be fine. This is this is the biggest thing, and and thank God because it's just. Uh, Makes so much difference, so much of a difference. You could have a, the Ferraris and the Mercedes, even if the gap was as big as what it is now. If you could get clever on the strategy, it doesn't seem like it's as big, and you could still get exciting races with a slower car, still being able to take it to a faster car if they can just get really intelligent with their strategy. And the current regs just do not allow for that at all. We've covered it so many times. It just allows for whoever's got the quickest car to push a few buttons and just control the pace from start to finish and nobody goes anywhere and we finish two by two by two. There's no reason why that should be the case under a refueling system. We should be able to have completely different strategies all through the field. Well, it, it, it's essentially it doubles everything up, doesn't it? Because, um, and for each tyre choice, isn't it? Because you can, it, your first stint could be on softs or hards. Let's just, you know, softer or harder compound and you can feel heavy or you can feel light so what you know um what you could try and do is uh you know heavy fuel on hard tires and light fuel on light tires but equally um you could try and and, and do lighter fuel on the um on the harder tire and and then but push harder on it than you you would do if you'd filled the car up really fat uh, and we're putting more pressure on the tyres that might cause them to, you know, um, to burn out. There's just so much more variable. In and that's the key word there for me, variable. It's not like there's, you know, a prescribed amount of fuel that's going to go in it at any pit stop particularly. It's going to be down to um, 
and, and and pit stops these days, two seconds a pit stop is like, it kind of takes away the drama of a pit stop, you well, know? Do you know what the other thing it does? It means that any mistake in a pit stop is completely amplified. Yeah, because exactly. if, you, if you have a five second pit stop, you lose three seconds on track um, just because of a tyre taking a little while to go on. But if the pit stops all generally take around six to ten seconds, say, as a, you know, as a rough guide, if a tyre goes on, it's not the end of the world. Plus, everybody else is kind of doing stops of around that thing. So you don't have to be quite so breakneck about sticking your hand in the air just because you've got the tyre on. You're going to make sure it's on. So t- cars that's aren't going to go out with loose wheels. Yeah, um, so that's, a, that's an argument in the safety column, which obviously was the reason they, they wanted to do away with refueling in the first place for the safety aspect. But there's there's a, there's a thing that should improve safety by bringing it back, if anything. So that's an interesting point you make there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for all the, all the people who were saying, oh, well, refueling's not safe, well, make it safe. It, it's not like we don't have... Um, the technology now to be able to automate something in the car that makes it impossible for the driver to drive off while the fuel hose is in makes it impossible for the fuel nozzle to be released before it's um it's shut off do you know what i mean so that you can't get fuel spillage by the um uh by the nozzle being open you know, yep. you can't you can't end up with a the Joss Verstappen, you know, covering the car or any of those bits and pieces. We can put a man on the moon. We can do these things. Yes, do you know what I mean? You can't you can't <laughs> tell me there's not a way to make a fuel pump that doesn't you know that doesn't cause accidents on a Formula One track. Another interesting point as well is that by doing this, we won't be filling the cars up at the start with whatever many liters of fuel to last seventy laps in a Grand Prix. So cars are going to be lighter all the time uh, throughout the race are going to be with just 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 a minimal amount of fuel to do the to do the stint which mm-hmm. means they're going to be quicker off the start line quicker in the opening phase of the grand prix drive no more no more um oh can you save fuel nico or whatever can you can you can you save fuel for five laps or go half a second a lap slower so drivers should be pushing hopefully at all times which yeah. means which means we'll get better in theory better racing between teams on the track more chance of a mistake. When was the last time you seen a mistake in Formula One? You never see driver errors anymore because they're driving so within themselves. Mm. Because none of them are driving flat out. They're all driving at half a sec, half a lap, uh, sorry, half a second, a second a lap off what they could possibly do if they actually pushed. So none of them make mistakes. So there's no interest. In, I remember years ago you used to see top drivers bin it. Even even the best drivers they. They'd spin the car in a corner or something when they're leading that because the pressure's on and they're going flat out all the time. Under the current regulations, they don't need to do that. Whereas I feel like this is certainly one thing that'll lead to that. Anyway, yeah. It's not the only thing. Refueling isn't the only thing that, that will, will give us that, but it's certainly a major step on the on the ladder. Oh, no, uh, absolutely. I think it... Um... Uh, and I think that's a really good point, actually, isn't it? That the opening, um, the opening stint of a of a Grand Prix race these days is: can you get to the first corner? And then, if you can, everybody settle down so that you can um, guard your car for the prescribed number of laps that the soft tire can do. Do you know what I mean? It's just in any what in any way, shape, or form is that the best way to to, to go racing? 
It's not racing at the end of the day, is <laughs> no, it? No, it is. It's, it's management. It's, it's management. It is. It's management. And there's, there's, you know, it's management and hope that you finish in a decent position by the end of the race. Exactly. And and, and the other thing is the cars. There used to be, you know, a time when if a car was good on its tires and stuff like that, then you could, ex, you know, you could eke out stints. I remember that was people saying, "Oh, would well, you think they can?" You know, they've obviously filled up that car a bit fatter than the other ones because we can tell because it's a couple of tenths slower a lap than. Um, we think it should be. So yeah. do they think they can make the tyres last? And it, it gave you like mystery about how these exactly. things were going to play out. Exactly. Was it going to be tyre, uh, you know, um, tyre degradation that was going to bring them in? Um, or was it the, the fueling, you know, where the tyres were fine, but, um, you know, you could only, you only would want to fuel the car for this many laps, otherwise it would be too heavy. I love all of that stuff. I find that... Me too. That's what I'm saying about that's what first sort of drew me in like and the amount of times back in the day where a, a slightly slower car would go skinny and qualifying to get track position and maybe put it on pole or something and then have to pit really early it just adds a whole new dimension like if, if, if imagine you know a hamilton's f- fifth or sixth on the grid and you'd have brundle and whoever else saying oh well they must have really fueled that car heavy they must be planning on a long first stint or something because they're sixth on the grid you know that's a different different game altogether. It does, and I think it brings the harder compounds of the tyres um, in as more of an option, um, because at the moment we know what the deltas are. That you know, there's a second and a bit between each of the tyres, and that's just a thing. So really, the harder tyre generally, apart from a few times where the the heat changes things, and actually the harder tyre becomes uh, the the better race tyre. But generally, it's just that the harder tyre is punitive, and you essentially want to get off of it as soon as possible. And you know it's about about when you use your good tires and then where you stick the crap tire on your car. Well, it you know it might not necessarily be the crap tire if um, you know you fuel the car in a way that means um, you know you've taken the heaviest part of the the race on it um, while sacrificing initial track position to be able to give you much better racing near the end of it nowadays you only see people on the slower tyre off of quality if they've qualified in like 15th or 16th and there's, you know, they just, they're like, well, we might as well roll the dice and see how it how it pans out. But, you know, then it becomes a completely viable strategy if you've got a fast car to take a little bit of a hit in qualifying, you know, maybe end up fourth or fifth on the grid, but be able to fuel your, fuel your car heavy and watch as everybody else comes in having used up all of their tyres at that point in the race. And then, you know... Um, you're ahead and in nice clean air making up up time as time as your car um gets faster with less fuel on it um and the tires are sticking with you so you get a bit of a bonus because um you know you're you're getting both bits of the uh of the cake in 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 essence in that um you've taken the pain out early so that you you get better faster times when everybody else is having to come in because their tyres are falling off. I just... Yeah. can only see positives, and that's why I'm so, so wary of, like, getting too hyped, because I just, I just feel like it's almost too good to be true. I wasn't expecting this news today. <laughs> I wasn't expecting this anytime soon. I thought we'd, we were going to go a long time before before refueling maybe never come comes back to the sport. And but something had to be done, didn't it? 
You know, I, I think so. I think it was. Funny. I think I think at this point, everybody involved in the tea, everybody involved in the sport was starting to realise what like guys like us had been saying for for a while. Like this, this isn't good. And before they were kind of like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. It's first season, the new regulations, it's fine. We'll change this. The regs have changed. This is this, this, and they, they blow it off. But now it's like, okay, maybe, yeah, maybe something does need to be done. It's good that they've realised that. You're listening to the Last Lab Podcast, the home of F1 banter. So let's look at the other rules that have gone through. Uh, for next season, um, and this is the rule I'm not so sure about, um, free choice of the two dry dry tyre compounds for each team can be used during the race weekend. Now, we haven't, we haven't got the exact rules on how that's going to be imp- implemented. Um, the initial implementation was suggesting that they would have to choose before the start of the race weekend um, or possibly after first, uh, first practice um, so that you would be locked in for um, the, the rest of the the race weekend um and i've been trying to think about how this really improves the racing and i don't think it does really um even with refueling i I just get the feeling that what will happen is that the teams will work out what the optimum tire choice is fairly quickly and all of the top six teams will all be on that and then maybe you'll see a team like a toro rosso or marussia do something extreme like go for the super softs and hard and see what they can do by, you know, um, going to the extremes and accepting that there's, you know, things that they'll have to do. But if the other teams are running um, soft and medium, well, maybe that gives them a chance to get out of Q3 or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It's, or Q1, I should say, um, because they, they can afford to take the... They already know that there there's performance degradation, so if they, they take the fast... The, the super soft tyre now that's only going to last two laps doesn't matter to them if it gets them you know slightly further up the grid or anything like that it's... that's an interesting point yeah someone could use it in qualifying to but then that's it and then it's just then hindrance they need to, to, have to make do with the hard and the or whatever other one in the race it, well hmm it, it feels like it, you think oh that should give us lots of interesting strategy but it won't because I think the team the teams will end up all homogenized saying that's fine we're just going to take the soft and the medium because that works out better for us because they're not as you know both tires last longer than the super softs but none of them are as as slow as the hards and that'll be it and then maybe there'll be one weekend where they go actually um it's malaysia therefore we know degradation's high so okay we'll go for medium and hard on this one um or they'll go to you know like in monaco where there's not high tide tire degradation everybody on super softs and softs which is probably what they'd have taken anyway so mm-hmm. you know w- where are we at the end of the end of the day i don't think we'll see that many extreme choices made by teams because there's always going to be an optimum choice and that's what the teams will generally go for i mean i'm gen i'm generally agree um uh, with that sort of assessment but you know We'll, we'll wait and see how it goes. And it's not variable. Yeah. That's the thing. With fueling, it's variable. You can choose exactly how much fuel you put in the car at any one stage. So there's more than one way of doing things. But with two tire compounds, there's two ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's two ways of, you know, if it's a two-stop race, then there's two ways of doing it. Do you do, um, you know, soft medium, or do you do medium soft? And that's your that's your two choices. So it doesn't really change all that much. I don't think. 
other things introduced for 2017. Uh, faster cars is a kind of random uh, good, good, <laughs> sort good, of thing. Good. Five to six seconds uh, they think that they will be able to um, take off lap times uh, through aerodynamic rules evolution. Interesting. I wonder whether that means that they will um, allow more sort of um, ground effecty kind of things and try and take away from the need to have these um, beautiful front wings that uh, fall off at the drop of a hat and cause cars behind to be unable to follow, maybe, possibly. Um, yeah, I can see that. I'm not inherently against that either. I'm not a big fan of the the crazy, the crazy front wing designs. Uh, wider tyres, which I am very definitely a fan of. Um, simple way to get more uh, emphasis on... Um, non-aero grip mm-hmm. uh, and reduction of car weight um i'm not quite sure how that's going to work out because we had the problems with heavier drivers and always think a reduction in car weight goes back to penalizing bigger drivers really um they need to do that in com- in combination with making a change so that the weight of the driver is taken into account when you say what the uh, weight of the car should be so that mm-hmm. the cars all end up being of an equal weight so you know if if you've got a two kilogram driver heavier than somebody else at the start of the start of the race, then the car can be two kilograms lighter than the car that's got a lighter driver in it, and then it all evens itself out that way. Otherwise, we'll end up with jockeys in the cars, and it'll be stupid. We <laughs> won't be able to see over the steering wheel. Uh, high revving engines and increased noise. I'm. That's just a spectacle thing for me. I wasn't fussed when they brought in the titanium. Uh, the titanium um skid plate stuff uh it's just a thing it's a gimmick and i think in a way higher revving engines what does it mean it doesn't really make a difference to the car per se i guess sometimes higher revs do mean extra power and bits and pieces but really it's all about noise isn't it so the higher you rev the engine the the louder the noise it makes yeah yeah i don't really care about sound uh, when everybody was going mental about the sound last year, I was the one, one of the people that just I, I quite liked it. They were quiet. <laughs> you could hear things, you know. You could hear the tires locking and stuff like that. It was, it was different. I'm not one of these. Uh, I'm not one of these people that you know. Oh, real F1, you need to hear the noise of petrol heads and <laughs> and all this kind of thing. That's that's not why I watch the sport. That's not why I, I'm in. I'm in it for so. Yeah, I don't, I don't care if they want to do that, but I, I wouldn't care if they don't do that either, kind of thing. Neither here nor there with that one. Um, and another one is, as another kind of random up in the air kind of thing. More aggressive looks. Well, again, what does that mean? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> what does that? They're going to paint really. They're going to paint nasty faces on the side. They're going to paint grr on the side. They're yeah, going to bring back the the wasp and the snakes from the Jordans on the front of oh, all the cars. That must be that it. was that was a. That was a livery, you know. <laughs> that was, was back awesome. when they made. That was back when they had colours on cars, <laughs> and not just grey. Every, everything wasn't just grey and grey or silver. See, see when McLaren announced they were doing a new livery, I thought grey, and then it was just black, and I was like, for goodness sake. Oh well, so to be fair, when they announced it, they said it was going to be grey. I I was nearly out of the window. Um, and at least it turned out to be that nice dark graphic grey that looks almost black. It's not bad. I think, I, I think I black and red it. looks really nice. To be fair, but. I don't hate it at all. Uh, there's been many worse down the years, but 
For God's sake, somebody paint a car yellow or green or pink <laughs> or something. Would that be that so much? Yeah, stuff. come on. Like, goodness sake. The Force India is the most frustrating one because they were generally quite eye-catching when they were white and orange. Yeah. And a bit of green in there. And then they were, do you know what this needs? More grey. More black. Like, <laughs> no. More black in this need... colour. <laughs> goodness sake, man. Um, yeah. There's also been a few other discussions that haven't uh, actually gone to... Uh, ratification um a global reflection on race weekend format whatever the hell that really means um, i'm not i think the format's okay just now yeah. i think we've got a good qualifying. actually it's been the best it's probably been for a very yeah. long time we, we we messed about with the qualifying format in formula one for such a long time yeah like, actually we've stumbled upon quite a good one at the moment the only thing that they might need though i mean if they bring back refueling you'll have to say what that if you you need to f- the but the top 10 have to fuel the car with the amount of fuel they'll start the race? I don't think so. Or would you... I don't see why. Or would you just um, I, have, them, I think have them qualify on, on one lap of fuel and then put however much fuel they yeah, want in the absolutely. car to start the race? I'd okay. say that maybe they have to use the tyres that they back in Q1 again, possibly. I don't know whether that'll be the case or not. Um, see, I would have them... I would have the top 10 fuel the car... That they're going to start the race, and then that way, you could fuel it lighter to try and get an advantage in qualifying, and then um, yeah, and then anybody outside yeah, the top maybe. ten, anybody outside the top ten can um, put however much they want in the car, in the same way that they can start on whatever tires they want to choose. Okay, no, I suppose that's the that's the way. I, that's the way I would have it. You know, that I guess that'll that remains to be seen how they would work yeah. it. But I like the idea of you know a Say say some say Felipe Massa right now, driving the Williams will probably finish fifth in qualifying. But if he could he could skinny fuel his car, and and take the pain of doing a short first stint with less fuel, but you know get track position via qualifying on the front mm-hmm. row because he's put less fuel in the car kind of thing. I I, I like that I like that idea. Um, but we'll see where it goes. Okay. Um. And the other one was uh, measures to make starts only activated by the driver without any outside assistance. Um, well, so yeah. I guess that's no measuring of clutch bite points and bits and pieces. Um, I don't know. I don't, I, they seem to be messing up the starts fairly often enough as it is. I don't really know if that needs that much tweaking. It wouldn't be, on, it wouldn't be top of my list to go fix, but you know, I, I'm quite happy for them to take away the toys as much as possible. So... Yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just kind of like, uh, it, when we had launch systems, that was stupid. You know, the car just sorted itself out. That's stupid. They can spin the wheels up so easily now because the amount of torque that the the engine delivers. Why, you know? <laughs> I, I, did Lewis have a great start this week? No, he didn't. Therefore, if the, you know, current fastest guy in the best car can still make a mistake then there's probably not all that much you, you know you need to yeah to do unless you just want it to happen more often which just seems stupid it seems that's a bit of a don't don't, <laughs> don't necessarily disagree with that i just um just philosophically and, and ideologically I, I like to take away the technology if we can you know let's go back to manual gear shifts and stuff <laughs> give them a give them a give them a uh, 
a, a lever, a gear lever. <laughs> yeah, I'm ki- I'm kidding, obviously, but like you know, I, I like the idea of um of making it more, you know, making it more driver focused and give give the driver make the driver drive the car. You know, don't 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 drive the car from the pit wall the yeah. way the way it was kind of kind of going in that direction a little bit so i'm all i'm i don't i'm not that fussed about the starts i think the starts are still pretty good but you know just ideologically i like the idea of taking away some of the some of the toys um there's been uh basically an independent consultant company have come in um at the initiative of the fia to look on the reduction of costs in formula <laughs> one um they've come in given their report Again. <laughs> um so there is going to be more work being done on that um so i've seen some vague reports coming about that part of that has been ron dennis pushing quite hard on having customer cars uh which is a concept that um i certainly was in favor of i can't remember if you said you were or not um in favor of the customer cars yeah of being able to buy bits and pieces from yeah um... from other teams to build your car I certainly think it needs to be. It's not something it's, you need to. You need to be careful about what you can and can't sure. do, and it, and it's, it's. But I think there's definitely scope for scope for something there because. Well, realistically, the Haas entry next season is going to be built in, almost entirely of Ferrari parts. They're taking a huge amount from Ferrari under this whole technological partner thing that they're doing. So I don't really know why we don't just kind of legitimate legitimize it and say mclaren can sell their chassis to somebody if somebody wants it or you know red bull can sell their side pod design you know to nobody's buying any red well, bull no. this year. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what i mean but, uh, you know, i totally if, get your drift yeah like, i think if I'm, they come I, up I'm, with a I'm, you general, know, I'm generally in favor for it i think it's probably good um i think it at least allows certainly a good way of helping out the manners and that Yes. of the world they're not gonna they shouldn't end up three or four seconds adrift at the start of the season you know if they're able to pick some parts up from the other teams that they've not been able to develop themselves if they can come in and, and buy them yeah, for a cost. if they can agree a deal with a team and they want to pay x amount and the team's happy to supply bits for you know that's just business and i'm quite happy like yeah yeah i can i can work with that for sure yep. you're listening to the last lap podcast and uh, the fifth engine has been ruled out, apparently. <laughs> Has anybody told Christian Horner and the Red Bull guys? Probably not <laughs> at the moment. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, probably. I've, I, I'm, I would. I would have been happy to have seen the fifth engine. Yeah, I, uh, I think at the uh, at the end of the day, I, I'd be interested to see who vetoed that really, because <laughs> the only people it's going to affect really are. McLaren and Red Bull in terms of the people who are probably going to need the extra engine. Well, um, Toro Rosso as well, but you know. Well, they've been. Well, they. Yeah, maybe, but um, in terms of teams that other teams should be worried about. Yeah. Now do, yeah. you, you can't tell me that like currently Sauber or Force India um, think that by the end of the season the McLaren won't have easily surpassed them and probably be scoring more points than them. They, they can't be thinking that and, and blocking it, and. Do Williams and Ferrari and Mercedes really think that Red Bull, with one extra engine, are miraculously gonna suddenly start taking points off them? No. I don't. I don't think so, really. Uh, you know, it's not like they were asking for a, you know, three or four more engines. It was only one. I think um, Danny Rex already used four. Yeah, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. 
So, I'm not a big fan of the engine capping. Uh, it's di it's difficult because it's clearly the easiest way to reduce costs, isn't it? Is of course, say, but I, I just feel like last. it's five over a season seems a little bit. <laughs> it, I must admit, I was going to say that I thought five was fairly stingy to begin with, and when they said it was going to be four, I was just like, oh, okay, I don't See, think I, that's going to happen. I'd, I'd almost say like one in two, and I'd be quite happy with that. Yeah. You know, one engine last two Grand Prix. Another engine, two Grand Prix. I mean, what if it's four just now and there's twenty Grand Prix? That's that's five you got to get through. That's a lot of miles, especially if you're going to Bahrain, followed by China, followed by Malaysia. These hot, sweltering places, you know. That's a lot of strain on the engines, especially you know these these engines that they're struggling to. To package nicely into the cars in the most efficient ways and stuff, I'd give them, I'd give them one and two, but they obviously want to reduce costs. So, what can you do? They're not going to give. They're not going to be as as liberal as one and two. I don't think if they're reducing, if they're ruling out five, they're never going to, they're never going to commit to like ten engines a season, are they? Yeah. No, I think that's. I just think going back to me, like it goes back to what we're saying about racing being, you know, refuel and being beneficial for racing. Teams don't have to worry so much about engine mileage. They might be able to push the car a little bit harder and create a bit, a little bit of a better sport on track, you know. So yeah, fine, you're saving costs throughout the season, but 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 at what cost, you know? Yes, no, <laughs> I I I totally uh, and then to some extent agree. Um, it would be nice if that wasn't the easiest and simplest way to save save money. Um, there's nothing else really in Formula One that's such a uh, a simple, direct and obvious cost that you can manage so simply without the teams being able to you know find loopholes and do bits and pieces. And, oh, we're not really replacing this bit, and we're not really replacing. You know, it's easy to say, right? This is the engine. Mess with any bit of this, you're done. Somebody's microphone went very funny then. Uh, is that right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, so anything gonna... else in the news then? Or? Well, I was just going to say this. The I'll, I'll cut it to this next bit if that's all right. So... Yeah. So, in the news, uh, in other ways, uh, Lotus have come come out and said that they're not for sale, um, and Toro Rosso have also said that they're not for sale, but they feel that they have a lot to offer a manufacturer. Uh, and this is all sort of centered around uh, Renault's kind of proposed move uh, to maybe come back in as a manufacturer team um, and either pick up the Lotus uh, or the Toro Rosso. I think the Lotus one was probably a bit more speculative because um, they've obviously moved away from Renault engines now. So it seemed a bit weird to <laughs> have entered into a contract with Mercedes only to then <laughs> go out and be picked up by, by Renault. Um, obviously, Toro Rosso are currently running uh Renault engines and um Franz Tost had said he doesn't really have a problem with rebranding the car if they wanted it to be white and yellow uh with Renault plastered on the side it's not a problem um but he kind of felt that probably Renault have enough on their plate uh, yeah. getting their current engine to work let alone buying another team but he did say that he you know he feels that there's there's no way a non-manufacturer team can uh win the championship uh, and he feels that Toro Rosso have a a good setup that could benefit a manufacturer coming into the sport. I don't doubt that, to be honest. No, uh, 
No, absolutely. They, they... If I was looking to buy a, a Formula One team, that's probably a good place yeah. to start if you if you're it, on a limited budget. You probably get a decent price off of Dietrich as well if he's so like if he's fallen out of love with the game. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you could probably easily see see him selling up. He's not if he's going to if he's talking about selling Red Bull. You know, that's yeah. his. his <laughs> Toro Rosso is going to go too, isn't it? Let's oh, be yes. like, um, <laughs> Interestingly, though, uh, in other reports, although I can't remember who had kind of who they were citing as their source, but um, a rebel person was sort of kind of quoted as saying that their future in Formula One is tied in with uh, with Audi coming in. I did read that as well, which I think that was... It seems to have gone away as a news story, which I think is quite interesting. Um, it's because Audi, which is owned by obviously Volkswagen, Volkswagen like uh, replaced their long-time chairman, mm -hmm. who was... Uh, Against going into Formula One or against, yeah. against going into sport in general, I think. Or sorry, I think he sports. was against Formula One because they've yeah. they've obviously got the programs in um, endurance and, and things like that. Where they yeah, that's true. Yeah, so yeah, but now that he's gone, opens up a potential avenue for a deal. Yeah, so we'll wait and see that one. I think that one's a very much a. Well, the other thing a, that I'd. Um, uh, I kind of really read was that um, Audi weren't interested in coming in anytime soon. You know, they'd they'd be coming in as a sort of 2018 at the earliest, probably 2020, um, as when they they were thinking about they'd be ready to to come into the sport. So it's it doesn't feel like that like Audi are just on the verge of coming in to rescue Red Bull from their Renault predicament. So uh, yeah. Um. I, I don't know how much there is in it. I hope Audi come in because I, I, it's clear at the moment that you're only going to do well with being supplied by one per, one engine manufacturer who um, only supplies you and only cares about you, um, which is why Honda have, uh, McLaren and Honda have done that deal. And I think it would be good to see another team, you know, be the only one. And if it was Audi with Rebel, that's good because it means Renault will prob would probably buy Toro Rosso and then that would become yeah, another manufacturer team. Then you've you got, got Honda, Merck, Ferrari, Renault, Audi. There's five teams, you know. That's pretty good. And I, I guess if it starts going off that, there may be more, um, you know, you might see other manufacturers thinking, oh, well, if it's turning into a bit of a manufacturer series, maybe, you know, maybe we'd get a BMW back or mm -hmm. um, Suzuki nice or something like nice that. It'd be nice to so. see Audi and just, you know, from a novelty standpoint, you know, something a bit different. Yeah. Can you imagine we could get Peugeot back in as a as an engine supplier and thing? You know, they pr produced all of those great engines for the Williams back in the day. It's uh, it's not like they don't have a pedigree. It's... Certainly could do with one or two more yes. engine manufacturers. We no, can't have everybody true. running Renault, Mercedes <laughs> or Ferrari engines. You know, it's just a bit... No. And it's, it's quite clear, really, isn't it, that... Um, if you're the customer team, you are getting second best. It's just yeah. obvious. F1 needs a couple of more manufacturers, <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, well, kind of speaking of, well, just something about uh, customer teams, really. Um, Rob Spedley has uh, basically refuted that um, Williams are struggling to develop their car, although realistically, um, they are. <laughs> they are. <laughs> it's a bit stupid, really, isn't it? It's a bit like. Um, denying that Rob Smedley looks a bit like a homeless person these days. 
I love Rob Smedley. I do. I, I, I have only positive things to say <laughs> for Rob Smedley. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, they're clearly not not developing the car at the... Well, at any rate, really. But whatever rate they are developing at, it's only on par with what anybody else around them is doing. They're not able to catch the teams above them in any way, but they're not able to... They're under no pressure from behind them. They're just existing in fifth and yeah. sixth. Yeah, people were were kind of vaguely saying, and I think it's fairly true, isn't it, that, that Ferrari's jump is made more... Um, it probably looks bigger than it is because they've surpassed Williams. But that seems to be a case that Williams just haven't really developed the car so much. So they've stood still. Ferrari have gained whatever they were going to gain, and that's put them ahead of Williams, but they're still all this way behind Mercedes. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I find it difficult for anybody to deny that Williams aren't doing a, as good a job of developing this, their, their car as the other teams. It's it's clear in the performance of the car. And uh, last thing uh, for the, this, this week's podcast, um, Gene Haas has uh, not ruled out Danica Patrick getting an F1 drive. I'd like to see it. Uh... Just for the novelty and, you know, women in the sport and all of that would be good. Uh, and Danica's, she's, 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 she's pretty good. Well, okay. she's, she's pretty much really, <laughs> in a way, the, the women's top driver, isn't it? Uh, whether she is the most talented female driver in the world, I, I don't, you know, that remains to be seen in a, in a lot of ways. But there's so few of them driving in high-profile sports series. Uh, and she's driven for a very long time in a lot of high-profile American sports series. So it's not like, you know, um, she's a flash in the pan or a bit of a Susie Wolfie. You haven't really heard of her until the last season or so or anything like that. It's, you know... Yeah, she, she's, 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 she's a legit sort of... Racer. She's yeah. a racer. How good she is, I'm not going to comment on. But she's a racer and, and nobody can deny that, I don't think. So... Um, like and she's, said, do, she's doing NASCAR now, but she's worked for IndyCar, so yeah. it's not like she doesn't know single seaters, you know. So no, and she was probably slightly better in IndyCar than she was at, at NASCAR, really. Um, so yeah, I, I think that would be interesting. Um, I kind of hope it happens. Really, it's one of those it, it, a bit like the old um, Undertaker and Sting thing for wrestling, yeah. like the what if. You know, I don't know how good it will actually be, but I'd like to see it. And I think that's the kind of thing with Danica. Really, it's like she was the big you know, female success story in IndyCar. Could she come to Formula One and do it? And it never really happened. So it would be nice to see it happen, even if it meant that she was in a back market team not doing very much or doing very well. But, you know, it'd be nice to see it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So it's Monaco uh, in a week's time. Um, I am sure that you're looking very much forward to it like I am. Yeah, sure definitely. Always a spectacle. Uh, at least in terms of, yeah, as you say, the spectacle of it all. Um any kind of predictions? Do you have any feelings about it? We were vaguely talking about well, this on our kind of kind of hinted towards it earlier on, but I'm going for Rosberg this this time out. Coming off the back of a good win in Spain, he was confident still up. Hopefully, his difficult start to the season's behind him, and he's mentally strong and feeling good about life. Has a good record at Monaco. I think his first one of his first wins was there. Maybe not his first, but one of his first his first couple. Um, and he won it last year, didn't he? I think uh, after the um, the qualifying gate saga, remember? Uh, yeah. 
of parking these parking his car on the apex of uh, of whatever turn it is down it down towards the hairpin and Lewis getting getting a little bit <laughs> shafted in behind. So there's a little bit of that. Uh, but look, Nico won 2013 and 2014, so he clearly knows how his way around. So quite happy to quite happy to go for him this week. Lewis has only ever won it once back in 08 in his world championship uh, winning season. Wait, oh, it was his world championship winning season, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Oh, seven was his debut. Yeah. So that's the only year he's he's won it. So we'll give it to Nico this week, hopefully. What do you think? Um, I don't ask me why. I have a little feeling that Kimmy's going to do really well. I just yeah. remember him being really punchy in the Lotus um, at Monaco, and it always just seems to go better there than than a lot of other tracks, and I. I think if you know if there's if there's something in the Ferrari that's giving it good stability and good drivability, you know maybe that that'll be the track that he really shines at. I think I I don't know could be completely wrong as the prediction league going on our uh, on the forum that uh, Short and I both go on will prove uh, my predictions have been shocking this season. Um, I am currently sharing last place with uh, of all people Dean Glass. So there you go. <laughs> oh, that's. Uh... Pretty yeah. much says it all for how well I'm doing, um, but um, yeah, I I don't know, I maybe not to win it, but I just I could see him maybe getting second or something like that. I think you'll yeah, why not? You know, we'll see. Yeah, I would like to see it. I know. Yeah, it's driving a Ferrari, so I'd like to see him have a good race. They should probably. So it's not it's not great, but it'll probably will end up being. Uh, two by two there's probably i can see the two mercs being out the top and then the two ferraris and then the two the two williamses we might get a, a massa or a bottas mixing it in with the ferraris but generally on raw pace i suspect it'll be pretty much two by two up the front uh hopefully i'd love to see vettel get in amongst or, or kimmy for that matter but uh, get in amongst the mercedes but that so that um that spanish spanish pace was a little bit Mm-hmm. A little bit concerning that they were so far behind. Uh, so we'll see. Maybe Monaco will suit them a bit better. Uh, less emphasis on, on the Mercedes engine, maybe. We'll see. We will, indeed. Well, I think that takes us very nicely to the end of uh, this episode of the Last Lap Podcast. Thank you very much for listening, guys. We appreciate you uh, tuning in to uh, hear us banter on about... Uh, formula one and uh, if there's any americans listening uh, a cheeky nando in this case is uh, not fernando alonso pinching somebody's bum uh, we'll let you find out what cheeky nando's really means uh, on reddit or somewhere like that um do you get that <laughs> for me <laughs> yeah and che- yeah, cheeky nando's uh, as in the chicken <laughs> <laughs> yeah as in the chicken apparently americans have no idea what a cheeky nando's is Oh really? <laughs> it's a thing, apparently. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I've never yes, been to Nando's. Never well, l- lucky you, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, thanks very much for for listening. Uh, remember that you can digest the podcast in a multiple myriad number of ways. Obviously, from our website uh, www.lastlappodcast.co.uk, um, you can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or tune in. Um, and if you are doing it on either of those services, we'd be very much uh, appreciative if you could leave us a little review or uh, click the old stars to give us uh, a rating. It all uh, helps us get out there to uh, 
other Formula One fans. Uh, and obviously share any of the links that you find us on Facebook or on Twitter. Uh, search for us on Facebook, uh, The Last Lap Podcast. And obviously on Twitter, we are at Last Lap Podcast. Um, you can contact me and Sean directly about uh, anything you particularly want to, Formula One or otherwise. I am at Man Called Megs. Yeah, and I'm at Firebolt Willow. He really is. Uh, and on that note, it's time to end the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Cheers.